Welcome back to Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, here, of course, also covers the team at The Athletic. It's a, a pending athletic takeover coming up because uh, your colleague Harmon Dial will join us momentarily here, Drancer. We'll get into everything that's happened, everything that hasn't happened, frankly, uh, as well around the Canucks, maybe a little bit around the league chatter as well with Harmon. Uh, we'll see if uh, if Harmon has a a wind up Drance submission <laughs> oh, <laughs> as he, well. He knows me. T- he knows me too well. It's too easy. Yeah, I was um, gonna say. You, t- it, typically, colleagues have a pretty good idea of how to wind up each other. Not not that I'm speaking from experience here at six fifty. Little bit of Canucks adjacent news, by the way, while we were on the break, as the Colorado Avalanche made it official that they've signed Brad Hunt to a two-year deal. Uh, Colorado loves to load up on puck-moving depth defenders, guys like Jacob McDonald, who they re-signed. And those guys, when they get into the Colorado lineup, they just, like, put up so many points. It's so funny. Yeah. You know, if you're you're just, like, a a high-end quad-A puck mover, right – like uh, like one of those low end NHL depth guys, but you can move the puck. You have Brad Hunt's style of skill set. You are going to feast when you get into that Avs lineup. Feels like a really good fit for Brad Hunt. So congratulations to him. Uh, obviously, did yeoman's work in his one season in Vancouver, and you love to see a local guy like that go into a good situation. Yeah, as you said, based on what we saw from Brad Hunt, what we've seen throughout his career, great fit in Colorado. Congrats to him. And also, we kind of saw the writing on the wall here. Uh, I think with you know the Wyatt Kalinuk signing, left-handed defenseman wow. who figures the, to be Abbotsford, Wolanin again, Jack Rathbone thing, yeah, and Jack uh, Rathbone. The moment, the moment, the moment I came on the air, what was it, three weeks ago, and said, "Hey, they're going to save a spot on the twenty-three man for Jack Rathbone." Not exactly sure what that means for Brad Hunt, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, we knew exactly what it meant for yeah. Brad Hunt, so. So it goes. It's Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Now joining us uh, from the Athletic, Harmon Dial. Harmon, thanks for doing this, man. How are you? Absolutely, I'm uh, doing well. Thanks. Uh, yeah, no, our, our pleasure. We're uh, we're happy to have you on. As I said, it's an athletic takeover here on Canucks Hour, and you know we we've had a couple of days now with not a lot of activity really around the league, but also specifically from a Canucks perspective after the flurry on free agency day just kind of big picture I mean how would you evaluate what the Canucks have done this offseason and where they stand uh, as we sit here on July 15th right now yeah it's interesting because I actually think big picture it's still impossible to judge what they've done this offseason because I think we can look at the roster in terms of next season and judge in terms of okay they've improved up front with the Mikhaev signing and Lazar and they've been able to improve in those aspects but with respect to the long-term question of how is, how is this franchise going to try and construct a, a cup contender in the years to come, we just haven't seen the moves yet that can kind of give us a window into the blueprint that this management group has. I mean, obviously, there's still time to um, get work done, and I would anticipate moves to come, but it's hard to kind of deduce that until we see it. And, and, and what I mean by that is for starters, I think going into the off season, one of this management's top priorities was clearing cap space. There was absolutely no secret about that. Um, and obviously it's been a tough market to move money in. And I think they're finding it a little bit more challenging than they would have anticipated with some of the contracts that they inherited. And uh, beyond that. So you look at the salary cap aspect, um, And then obviously, even in terms of building for the future, we're still waiting for the club to kind of perhaps shed some of its top nine talent in in the help of acquiring prospects, uh, particularly on the back end. 
and, um, and, and whether it's draft picks or other young players. The, the point I'm, try, uh, I'm kind of trying to make here is I look at the team's moves in, in free agency, for example, so far, and, and, then, and, and you can kind of see what they're trying to accomplish for next season. I'm still waiting to see what they're, what they're trying to accomplish in the big picture. And until we see, for example, how – like when I look at the forward group right now, I think it's crowded. Mm-hmm. Uh, with respect to the amount of bodies that they sort of have that could be vying for uh, for top nine opportunities, and <clears throat> especially since they're um, at a point where they're capped out now, I, I'm still kind of waiting for. It, it feels like an incomplete sentence where we're still waiting to kind of see uh, what comes next, and, and until that happens, until we can see what this means for the big the big picture, I'm a little bit hesitant to kind of have a black or white take, uh, black and white take on how I think the Canucks fared overall. Yeah, I mean, the, the phrase Drance and I have been using ad nauseum to the point that we're kind of questioning our sanity is waiting for the other shoe to drop. So uh, I'm with you on that one. And, you know, you, you mentioned the forward group becoming pretty crowded. One of the reasons for that is the acquisitions they made on free agency day. And specifically, I wanted to ask you about Ilya Mikheyev. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the contract, but I'm curious to hear your perspective about his fit with the team, his fit in this forward group, and how he might complement... Uh, some of the Canucks' top players uh, now that he's with the team. Yeah, he's going to check off a lot of boxes that the Canucks don't have. Uh, obviously, for starters, with the speed, he's going to come in and instantly be the, be the Canucks' uh, fastest forward. He's going to bring a level of uh, two-way intelligence as well with his play-driving ability, um, his defensive awareness, uh, the detail-oriented nature of his game, the, the way he wins puck battles, and just an overall 200-foot reliability that I don't think the forward group has enough of and that'll also be a huge asset on the penalty kill which obviously was a huge um was a huge thorn in the club side for the first half of the season in in addition to that he obviously adds a little bit of size the work rate is through the roof um which again i I think he's the sort of player who can kind of spark a line uh, a pace um be an elite uh elite sort of uh, puck retriever do a lot of the dirty work for some of the skilled players in, in the top six. So through that prism, yeah, he checks off uh, a lot of boxes. And, and just what I'm curious to kind of see is how much offensive upside is there? Because he scored 21 goals last year. Obviously, that, that came with a bit of a shooting percentage bender. Like, he's not going to shoot 14% every year. Um, but at the same time, I think the bet that the Canucks are making, and I think the feeling that, that they have internally is, I think they looked at Mikhaev and they saw that, okay, last year, for example, he was playing playing in a in mostly a checking third line role uh, on the David Kampf line with Pierre Engvall as well. And I think they sort of are hopeful that if they, de- if they deploy him in the top six in a more offensive role um, with more talented line mates, that that could perhaps help, help um, squeeze out a consistent 15 to 20 goal type uh, production. So I think that's the bet that they're making to help justify the, uh, the cap hit. And so it'll be interesting to see where exactly um, he lands in terms of what he can do offensively, because outside of the offense, he also check again, he checks off so many boxes. Do you like that bet Harmon? Cause it's not like, it's not like the team he's coming from was devoid of top six talent or that they didn't audition guys like Kerfoot and bunting and, um, you know, other sort of middle six guys further up the lineup to see if they might, you know, find some chemistry with some more skilled players. Do you like the bet that Mikhaev can maybe do more 
complimenting skill players? It's I, I'm not the most uh, I'd say <laughs> bullish on yeah. uh, like I wouldn't expect him to all of a sudden explode and uh, let me put it to you this way I I'd bet that he's closer to a, a 15 goal to high teens type score than he is a 20 goal guy like I don't think he's going to be annually. Uh, I, I, let me put it this way. I think you expect 15 and hope for 20. And, and, and that hope is, is a little, little bit more of like a best case scenario is at least kind of the feeling that I, that I have just in watching him play. Um, I don't think he has the hands. I, I think I, I've watched him play a lot. And especially on the breakaway, for, for example, it's kind of a joke where he kind of only has one move. And um, he's the sort of guy that like will generate a lot of chances but he doesn't have the finishing ability um, from what I kind of see. And so I have a little bit of concern there, again, in terms of just how much offensive upside there is. But um, the one thing I will say about the contract is at least they were able to kind of keep the term down to four years, which I think is, um, which I think is, I I was a little bit worried that it could have gotten to five or or six. Um, But Keeping it down to four is is palatable, especially considering he's one of the younger free agents in the draft class, and because he has less um, NHL mi- <clears throat> NHL miles on his body. So, with those two factors in mind, and, and looking at the move as a whole, I think the cap hit is a little bit rich. I think ideally you would have had him closer to a flat four million in terms of what he should be worth. Um, but at least, I mean, term is usually what really kills you with, with a lot of free agent contracts and. Um, from a Canuck standpoint, it's at least um, you're at least thankful it didn't get up to say five plus years. Do you have any global concern? You know, while being reluctant to have a black or white hot take on the Canucks offseason so far, do you have any sort of big picture concern that the Canucks effectively committed, you know, uh, a quarter million shy of six million dollars in on the opening day of free agency and a pair of forwards that you know might might credibly be called bottom six guys i'm a little bit concerned it's dependent on whether they can move other salary out and particularly like can they find a way to ship out tanner pearson's contract they do think they were exploring those types of possibilities earlier in the offseason and obviously it didn't it, it didn't result in anything to 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 this point uh but i do think there were productive sort of conversations um i think it you know whether it's a pearson or um even a connor garland um or i I don't think realistically you're going to expect jason dickinson's contract to move uh but if for me it's like i I need to see one of these other middle class contracts um go even if it's just to afford someone like niels hoaglander an opportunity right because I look at someone like Hoaglander, and I'm looking at the depth chart right now, and I see at least nine guys uh, ahead, of, ahead of him in the pecking order. And remember, this is a guy who he didn't have the best first impression on Bruce, Bruce Boudreau. His minutes started sliding significantly from January 1st onward. I believe he was 13th among Canucks forwards in average ice time. And now the team's become even deeper up front. And I look at a player like Hoaglander, and I think, developing him and getting the most out of him considering how young and, and cost controllable he is i think that's i think that's really important and i think that that means that you have to kind of there has to be an opportunity for him to earn top nine minutes and so i think there are you know considering that angle 
considering the angle of, you know, I thought the Canucks were already already had quite a bit of money committed to the to the top nine, um, and I actually you know thought they re- needed to reallocate money out of it as, as opposed to adding money in. Um, for those reasons, I think it's essential that they move out some of their other money now, whether it's a Pearson, uh, a Garland, or uh, a JT Miller, and that's where I'm going to be really interested to see how the forward market shakes out, uh, shakes out because I think. To this point, it um, it's been pretty soft, but obviously you have teams like the Islanders and the Devils that struck out on um, on Johnny Gaudreau, and it'll be inter- 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 interesting to see when, uh, for instance, Nazem Kadri signs, what teams may circle back and have interest in some of the Canucks' forwards. So I think from from my vantage point, you have to be able to shed some money out and bring some assets back in to justify, for instance, the Mackay signing. In conversation with The Athletic's Harmon Dial here on Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. And look, we're all kind of waiting for uh, to see if the move like that does materialize. And, you know, obviously with a player like JT Miller, you know, you're expecting a a good return back. Connor Garland probably still has, you know, surplus value. You can get a return back for him. But one thing that Jim Rutherford has said is he's not, he hasn't been interested to this point in attaching an asset to move a deal. As we get later into the summer, and as you said, it's still something the Canucks haven't found a way to do to clear some of that money up. Is there a point where maybe they have to bend on that a little bit and start to consider, hey, maybe we need to attach something to move one of these deals to create that cap space? We might have lost Harm. We'll get him back on the line here. Uh, Harmon Dial from The Athletic joining us here on Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. And, uh, yeah, no surprise. Uh, I mean, as he said, like, we're we're all – he's he's in that waiting period as well. We're, we're all in butt season around <laughs> everyone covering this team, right? We can have it's, our – I like the way that Harmon put it. An incomplete sentence is kind of what it feels like so far. Yeah, and I'm the problem is is that those deals are harder to find now, right? Um, there's a sense of impatience because you're now in a reactive spot. You're now in a spot where, granted, you can just take this lineup into next season, but if you're doing that, if you're doing that, then all you've really done is spent all your cap space again on you know one middle six forward and a bottom and a bottom you know a fourth line forward, right? And that feels a little too familiar. I think for Canucks fans who are hoping for something a little different from new management, right? We've, I I I think that's the prevailing sense in the market right now. We've got uh, Harmon Dial from the Athletic back on the line here on Canucks Hour. And Harmon, what I was asking just before uh, we, we lost you there was they haven't wanted to attach an asset yet in order to move out a contract to create salary cap flexibility. As we get farther into the summer, is there a point where you think maybe that calculus changes and that is something that they they have to consider? I don't think so, just because the organization is just so light on assets. And for instance, even at the, uh, even at uh, this year's draft, they weren't able to pick up extra, uh, extra um, uh, draft capital. So they're in they're already starting from a deficit. And I think they have an understanding that if they want to, over the next few years, sort of help or build up towards becoming. Uh, a contender that they sort of need to be hoarding assets and bring more of them in as opposed to kind of shipping them uh, out, especially for something like um, dumping salary. 
I, I just don't think it would make sense either because you're, you'd kind of be serving a short-term need um, with, let's say, you know, if, if you wanted to attach an asset to move a Dickinson contract or a Pearson contract, which, by the way, I, I don't think, I, you know, earlier in the offseason, I don't think they, I, I thought they felt that they would get value back, actually. So don't know if that would be necessary, necessary but you're looking at two years of, of cap relief. And in those two years, you're probably not in a position to win a Stanley Cup, right? And if that's, if we look at the Stanley Cup as the ultimate sort of goal that we're looking for out of this franchise, for this group to build towards long-term, then I don't think you're serving that need by giving up an asset to gain cap relief in years where you're not realis- realistically going to contend. So I don't think it would make sense for... Uh, management to kind of attach assets to get rid of money. Uh, you know, they don't have a ton of obviously flexibility right now, but I think there are, there is room potentially to do a little bit more work at the bottom of the roster. Are there any kind of bargain free agents you see that are still out there that you think it might make sense for the Canucks to kick the tires on? That's a really good question. I think, um, like there, there are, I still like some of the talents on the market. Like for instance, I just don't know if the Canucks, quite have the flexibility to, to kind of be able to, um, to add them, right? Especially, like, I think this region class is deeper up for, a lot deeper up front than it is um, on, the, on the back end, right? Where I look at names like um, a Sonny Milano, for instance, is still really attractive in terms of the speed-skill combination. But, of course, the Canucks are kind of capped out at this point, and they've, uh, they've added bodies up front without shipping others out. So, I don't, if anything, if you're the Canucks right now, you'd be looking to service some of your needs on the back end. Um, if I was kind of in their, in their situation, and if you're looking to kind of shore up the back end, you're going to do that via trade as opposed to free agency, in my opinion, just because I don't see any impact contributors um, on the blue line market that would kind of genuinely, um, that would genuinely move the needle in, in free agency. So if I'm the Canucks, I mean, I haven't, I haven't, exactly sort of scoured and gone through quad a sort of guys that that might make sense as 13th or 14th forward uh type guys but if you're talking about potentially adding everyday contributors i'd more so be focused on the back end and be looking at the defense and especially it'd be kind of interesting to see obviously people have made the connection with pittsburgh right and they've got um you know ron hextall has has mentioned that after, for instance, the Rudis signing, they've got a bit of a logjam there, and they're not going to be keeping anyone, or sorry, everyone. Um, is that the sort of opportunity where Rutherford and Alvin would look at for potentially upgrading the defense? So um, that's kind of my overall take on uh, what's kind of left in, in the free agent market. Harmon, how do you think this shakes out with guys like Aston Reese and Yarn Croc, Milano, you mentioned still being available. Um, are we, would you be surprised if in the next week we see some low AAV, longer term type deals signed by contenders for, for some of these players? Like, is that sort of the next phase of the offseason for some of the, some of the talent remaining on the UFA market? Yeah, I think so, and and we kind of, we've started to see I think that trend a little a little bit more where teams teams are starting to hand out um, kind of like the Canucks with Curtis Lazar handing out a little bit of uh, extra term 
uh, while keeping the AAV low. And I think that's attractive for uh, a lot of teams, especially when you look at, you know, someone like uh, Zach Aston Reese, like you kind of mentioned, where he, you know, obviously doesn't put up a lot, a lot of points, but if I'm a contender, I look at him and go, he's very similar to Tyler Mott, right? Where he, he's obviously not quite as fast, but defensively reliable, excellent penalty killer, excellent four checker. Um, the classic, you know, when coaches reference, he's a guy you win with. Aston Reese is the type of player you think of. Um, you know, Yarncock is really useful depth. Obviously, he didn't have a great, um, he didn't transition as well to, um, to Calgary um, post-deadline as he would have expected. I think last season was definitely a bit of a disappointment for him, but he's a guy that's, I think, in years past, been a consistent right-around 15-goal guy, been the ultimate Swiss Army knife uh, utility forward. And again, if I'm if I'm a contender, that makes a lot of sense as a buy-low candidate. And if I view Yarkrock, for example, as a buy-low candidate, then I would be willing to lock in a favorable AAV um, for for a longer term deal. So yeah, I think that that definitely makes sense. And um, I think obviously, again, as as Kadri goes and as uh, some of these bigger big, bigger remaining UFAs start to come off the board, that's when I think teams will look to service some of their um, some of their you know bottom six needs and and some of the more cost effective options. Uh, Harmon, just before we let you go here, uh, I wanted to run this past you because we've been we've been having a thing on the show here where we ask listeners to send in their takes to to specifically trigger Drance. We're calling it Wind Up Drance Friday. So we're, we're getting things like, you know, the Canucks should try to make the playoffs because anything can happen once you get in. Uh, you know, Alexander Barkov is overrated, things like that. So, I mean, you know Drance very well. You work with him closely at The Athletic. Uh, do you have something that might wind up Drance here on a Friday morning? trying to think see the problem is we talk all the time so we ended up with pretty much like 95 percent the same hockey takes (laughs) i think except except you deliver them more politely Harmon. i I think the closest thing was uh i I think a few days ago when i was doing a, a a list on the 10 best um unqualified rfas and um i was working on this list and i'd submitted the piece or I'd filed it, and just as just as soon as that happened, Donato and a bunch of these guys, a bunch of these cracking guys at the market, um, and so I still had Rem Pitlick in my top ten, uh, and and was just too lazy to do a write up, a write up on Donato and um, and uh, and Daniel Sprong, so I just had them as honorable mentions, and Dran saw that it was was very unhappy, and so I had to go back, and, <laughs> uh, I had to go back and do uh, a write up on Donato and do, demote Pitlick uh, to the honorable honorable. <laughs> When you're, I'm not a not a big Rem Pitlick guy. Okay, I'm sorry. When you're splitting hairs on Ryan Donato and Rem Pitlick, that, that is uh, that is very very special. That's a fantastic. Hey, submission. hey, it's legit. It's legit. I'm right. Rem Pitlick. Yeah, right. I was right. Thank you. I was you. just lazy. <laughs> oh, that is very good. All right, uh, Harmon, we appreciate it, man. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Hopefully, we'll chat soon. Thanks, guys. That is Harmon Dial of The Athletic uh, weighing in on the Canucks offseason so far, what he might expect to see, and also uh, giving us a little <laughs> glimpse behind the curtain uh, at how he sometimes winds up trance at The Athletic. That's fantastic. We're going to go to break here because we have, we're just in the process of grabbing some must 
listen, must hear Jim Rutherford audio as he speaks to uh, uh, Donnie and Dolly earlier today or just just very, very recently, minutes ago. We will play that back for you next. You're going to want to hear it. Jim Rutherford speaking about JT Miller. That's up next, plus more of your text. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome home, where it's all about the tangles and the snipes. He'll spin away from Timo Meyer. Here's Hughes through the middle. Oh, the slips on. He scores. Clint Hughes from the top of the... Final segment of the show. It is Canucks Hour Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Trance here with you. Uh, lots to get into, but I, I, I won't delay. I won't hesitate. I won't drag it out. Uh, we teased it before the break. Jim Rutherford. Yeah, Canucks- good, because we're impatient to hear it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Deeply impatient. <laughs> exactly, Drancer. Uh, Canucks president of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford, this morning uh, was on Donnie and Dolly on Czech TV uh, with our pals Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall. And, you know, shockingly, the, the subject of JT Miller came up in conversation, as you would expect. Really interesting exchange and answer from Jim Rutherford. Here he is in conversation again on Donnie and Dolly, courtesy of Czech TV. Jim, uh, I'm going to drive you nuts uh, with the JT Miller stuff, but here we go again. You're in a Canadian market. People are impatient. Uh, where are you with JT Miller, and where's this uh, heading? Well, I'll ask you, what are they impatient about? We have a, our best forward we still have in our lineup. What, yeah. uh, what, what, what's the impatience for? 1970 and no Stanley Cup since then, Jim. How about that? Yeah, no, Jim, everybody no, wants... That, no, 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 wait, wait, yeah. wait. That's not that's not a fair answer. Okay. The fact of the matter is, is a guy got ninety nine points. Mm-hmm. And so, are you saying we should get rid of him? Mm. But there's a million rumors out there, Jim, that you you tried to move him at the deadline at the draft. You guys are the guys that start the rumors, not us. So don't expect me to answer for the people that start rumors. Mm-hmm. In a perfect world, Jim, what happens with JT Miller for your organization? Well, I'll say the obvious. It can go two ways. We, you know, we can come to an agreement and keep him, and we have a very good player. Um, that's that's always difficult to do when a player is heading to free agency within a year, and uh, and he, and he's got really good numbers. So, of course, what the player is expecting in the way of a contract compared to the team is is usually different. And uh, so we're trying to work through that process. And if that doesn't work, we have to get the best return we can for him. But I think when the impatience should come on J.T. Miller is when we get closer to the trade deadline. And if we don't have him signed at that point, making sure that we get a return for him. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't see where there's any urgency until we get to the trade deadline. That is Canucks president of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford, earlier today, earlier this morning on uh, Donnie and Dolly on Czech TV. Uh, interesting. <laughs> Drancer. Oh, it's so good. Your reaction. Well, hold on, hold on. Actually, before you react, I did have to read this text. Uh, Lee texted and says, sounds like Donnie was playing hashtag wind up Rutherford. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, first of all, Jim Rutherford is in my usual slot. On Donnie and Dolly, right? So I think there's something about the Friday early slot <laughs> on the D&D show that, that causes people to spit fire, right? Like, I actually blame our scheduling for Rutherford's reaction. Because Rutherford didn't, go. know, didn't know that he was in the wind-up slot on the D&D show. But he was, 
and he delivered. In fact, delivered at such a level that, you know, no fireworks that I can bring at 11 a.m. on D&D could possibly compete. Um, so I think the impatience, for me anyway, right? Like, when you think about what some of my critical commentary about the Canucks' moves in free agency have been based off of, and it continued in our conversation with Harmon Dial last segment, too, it's not about JT Miller, although I do think that the club is now taking on a ton of risk, holding on to him. And they know that, by the way, right? Um, there may not be a sense of urgency, but there certainly was a sense of urgency to explore their options. Like, they they did reportedly make him that big offer ahead of the draft, right? We know, in a lot of ways, that the club was trying to get a resolution earlier, if possible. Now, now it hasn't happened, and they're comfortable, you know, extending Bo Horvat, coming into next season, seeing how it plays out. Fair enough. The, I think where the impatience is valid, though, is not about, not so much about Miller specifically, as it is that at this point in the offseason, right, the club has made zero changes, zero impactful changes, aside from adding some bottom six forwards to a group that has missed the playoffs six of the last seven years. Right? It's not about 1970. It's that we've seen this core group together now for three years, and certainly the last two, you know, weren't good enough. Like, weren't good enough. They weren't play- weren't even a playoff team. And to double down on that lineup, which I don't, again, I don't think they've done that with intention, but that's where we sit today, right? With where we sit today, the club has taken this roster, this group, that has, you know, over the last two years, not made the playoffs, that hasn't made the playoffs for, a, you know, consistently for a long time, and has just grafted a couple of, you know, very good, good fitting, but ultimately overturned bottom six forwards to the mix. And are capped out with minimum avenues to improve from that. I, I just think that rate of change is not what this market, certainly not what critical Canucks fans in this market were hopeful of, right? Like, I think there was hope that under new management, there'd be a more meaningful change of direction, and that hasn't come to pass. And and so I think that's where the impatience is beginning to set in for Rutherford to manage. I think the Miller thing is understood to be a little bit more complex complex because of the caliber of the player. Um, I think a proactive solution would have been better, far better uh, for this team, but I can understand where what the gamble is in keeping him, in holding to their guns in terms of getting full value in any prospective trade involving a piece uh, of that quality. Uh, I think waiting till the deadline has almost no upside for the team unless the goal is actually to resign him. Um, so, you know, those are some concerns that I have, but I don't think the impatience is about Miller specifically. I think it's about the lack of change in general and the fact that this group now, this core group in particular, has been together, has had, you know, uh, I mean, what? This is going to be Elias Pettersson's sixth season, right? Our fifth season. And the club's made the playoffs one of those years, right? Time is ticking away on this core group that was assembled as a result of years of pain, like watching Michael Delzato and uh, Jacob Magna and on and on. I mean, 
the years of just drag hockey that this market endured to to assemble this core and now it's a team that's missed the playoffs you know consistently and they're just doubling down on it from today's vantage point that that I think is cause for reason. Like, I don't think impatience setting in there is unfair to new management. I think that's a perfectly reasonable reaction based on what the team has done and accomplished and how they've performed over much of the last decade. There's certainly an appetite for that, for that new direction and for the changeover. And, you know, I mean, how often do we talk about, Hey, Trader Jim is coming in, right? All right. We're going to see some fireworks now. And, yeah, I mean, look, you can. Uh, people are saying, "Oh, you guys in the media are, you know, you've hyped it all up, and now, and now it's not happening." I don't think it was an unfair uh, inference for us to draw that we could be seeing some action and some turnover on this roster no. whatsoever. I don't think that. I think that was very, very reasonable. In fact, so I think that's part of it. What you, what you just outlined. I mean, I think the other thing with JT Miller, and, and this is a very simple and basic point, but. Like trades are exciting. New fans fans like when things happen with their team and it gives them something to talk about and think about. So there's there's an element of impatience there. The other thing is I don't know that it's impatience necessarily as much as it is, as it is a recognition of the risk that the team is taking, right? Like you talked about the gamble that they're making and I think it's just fans know and fans understand that that risk increases. The closer you get to the trade deadline, the riskier the situation it is. And it doesn't mean, therefore, you have to trade him, right? Because there's still a way that he could be on the team to start the year and a good resolution happens, right? You you get a really good deal at some point. That's still very much possible. But I think there's an understanding that the risk increases. The closer you get to the trade deadline, there's just so many other things that can happen that can go wrong, not least of which is this team plays really well and is in a playoff position or, you know, third spot in the Pacific Division or something, and it becomes just almost an impossibility for uh, for the Canucks to actually trade Miller. And, you know, Rutherford didn't he, – he didn't mention that possibility in that clip, right? He said, look, if it's a month before the deadline and we don't have him signed, we're going to have to get something for him. But that's easier to say now in July than it is, you know, next February when you're, you're comfortably in a playoff spot. So I think it's, it's more of an impatience. It's just the recognition that – the risk just keeps getting more and more the farther we go uh, into this situation. Well, and Canucks fans, you know, hearing hearing you lay that out, right? Canucks fans just like very Bonnie Vare voice, right? Like, I think I've seen this film before, right? Like, and I didn't like the ending, right? Like, Canucks fans have been down this road before. Now, that's not fair to new management, right? It's not fair to bring decades of um, neurosis <laughs> accumulated hard-won neurosis accumulated over years of supporting this franchise to bear in judging the work of new management but certainly certainly from today's vantage point right what they've done is they've capped themselves out on a team that I think we would look at in much the same way we looked at last year's team right and and say hey you know we like the goalie we like the forward depth can the defense get it done can this defense support the good parts of this team and you know I don't know like I don't know I, I I don't think I'm going to be picking them to make the playoffs from today's vantage point right like there's going to need to be something else that occurs there and you know I I think this overall approach only makes sense 
if the goal is, you know, we're going to – you extend Horvat, you go into next season, you kind of bet that Miller can't repeat as a 99-point guy, right? And you hope that you can get a more team-friendly resolution in terms of an extension. Like, this course of action makes sense if the goal ultimately is to extend Miller, right? If the goal is to turn over a new leaf, to reset some of what this franchise is doing, to look uh, further afield, further ahead, further down the road, road for years where you can really be a contending team you know then I I do think they've potentially uh stepped into a a bit of a hole here in terms of the passive approach to dismantling and clearing space uh, over the course of the past three weeks and so if you're a fan who's hoping for something new who's hoping for a more dramatic change of direction who's hoping to see this franchise aim you know, uh, to build a real contender down the line as opposed to doubling down on the current roster, then I think your impatience is fully justified. And so that's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch here as this new management group sort of continues to navigate this particularly eccentric, right, uh, hockey market. <laughs> Lots of texts coming in trying to explain, you know, why they might maybe are, are feeling a little bit of impatience, or if they're not impatience, then what they are feeling. Jesse texts in, I'm getting impatient because it seems we will enter next season with roughly the same team. We need to retool and take a step back, and by waiting until the deadline, uh, we kick that can farther or further down the line. This one comes in unsigned. It's not impatience, it's disappointment in overall results. I think most fans still see this team as wannabe and dysfunctional, a bad mix uh, that is still handcuffed and capped out. Uh, and another one here, uh, the the impatience is because of the past eight years of terrible asset management operating day-to-day and running out of time. The Miller situation just symbolizes that entire situation. And he says Rutherford should have read the room a bit better there. And it's both very understandable, right, that as you said, fans would kind of transfer not just, you know, the last eight years, but the entire history of the organization, and they would carry that that concern along with them. But you also, I think, kind of intellectually have to realize you have to have an open mind to how new management is approaching things, right? Like somebody else texted it in, all right, you know, Jim Rutherford, he's Jimbo 2.0 now, right? This is we're we're gonna get ready for another eight years of mediocrity. It's way too early, way, way, way too early to say things are just going to continue how they are. But I also understand just at a visceral level that fans don't want don't just want to hear that it's going to be different. They want to see that it is, in fact, different. I, I completely understand that, even if I think it's way too early to just kind of assume that things won't ultimately go in a different direction. It's just that this market's been re- this market's ready to see something new attempted. And I do think that the way that this team is positioned following the draft, following uh, free agency, you know, following the NHL silly season feels pretty conventional. And, you know, I I think this market was hopeful that new management would bring in something a little different, uh, something different to the mix. Um, You know, uh, Alvin talked about the need for creativity, but we would have loved to see that over the last three weeks. Right. I mean, uh, with the exception of the Besser contract. You know, I don't know that there's been a really savvy spot of problem solving that anyone can point to. And so you get to this point where it's not that the honeymoon is over for New Canucks management by any means. It's just that there's beginning they're beginning to make some decisions. And one of the decisions that they've made, right, is that they've effectively kept this group together. And they may not, by opening night, things may change. But 
two days into the opening of the free agent market, they've kept this team together. And that's a choice. That's a choice, right? This might still be the team that Jim Benning built, but Rutherford now owns it too because they've been through most of a full cycle without making significant change. And that, to me, puts a lot of pressure on this team to perform, right? Like, this is now... This is now, you know, it may not be the team that Rutherford built. He may have inherited a tricky situation. But tacitly, tacitly, he's now invested too in how they perform this upcoming year. And that, you know, is a is a tricky place to be, particularly if you're like me and think that this team's going to really struggle to make the playoffs. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots of great conver- uh, comments coming in. This one from uh, Saskatchewan Joe says, I'm really trying to trust Rutherford. Surely he knows this team is simply not good enough. The trade deadline return wasn't good enough. I think it's fair for the fan base to be a little impatient. Cannon North Van says, The silly season is not over yet. I fully expect the Canucks to make a trade. Good chance it's not Miller leaving, but someone else. I will judge this management team closer to puck drop and uh, keep the water guy texts in the Canucks will be stuck in Benning purgatory until they finally blow it up and I wanted to just double back to uh, a point that a previous texter made about okay you didn't make any of these moves this offseason so you're kind of kicking the can down the road and I do think you know when we when we chatted with um with Harmon Dial earlier in the hour one of the things he said was he would be reluctant to attach an asset to move a contract like a Pearson or a Dickinson or a Tyler Myers because you're getting pretty close to the end of those deals, right? And so at a certain point, are you better just to kind of have the patience to let those run out rather than spend assets from a not particularly deep asset pool in order to get them off of your books right now? And I can see the case for, I mean, what if... What have fans wanted? A lot of fans wanted more of in this market for a long time. It's patience, right? And maybe this is just part of it. Maybe it's we'll look back in two years and say, hey, they were right to be patient. There wasn't the right deal at the time. You know what? But but eventually down the road, they got the right deal, and they were able to create that cap space. And because they had the patience, uh, they were able to do some interesting things with it. That's completely in play. That, That is very, very much possible. So I think we have to be open to that possibility. But again, I also understand in the moment, it's hard to just say, you know what? Fine, we're, we're willing to be patient because we've also been waiting for you know better results here for a long time. Well, yeah, and I, I don't think anyone's saying, you know, in my view anyway, like they were right. A patient move was to not buy out Dickinson. That was the right one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I do think not attaching additional assets to move off of guys like Myers, Pearson, uh, is prudent because Myers and Pearson are still useful, right? And both will see their value spike should they retain that utility onto the last year of their deals, right? You're a year out from Myers having real value because of the structure of his deal and a year and a half out from Pearson having real value because he's a done-it-all veteran. You know, if he's still a 40-point guy on an expiring deal, like that's a hugely valuable asset just like it was at the deadline in 2021 right there was a real possibility that he might have been team's favorite left-wing target at the deadline just just a year ago and you could be back back there again in 18 months so you know I think Harmon's dead on there and and perhaps that is an example of patience now with regards to the um regards to 
the patience required on this group. I think it's it's again not about Miller so much as it's about how the team's now positioned cap wise. And my concern, like my worry at this point in the offseason, is just that the Canucks have painted themselves into a bit of a corner and that they've taken on a ton of risk in the Miller situation, but moreover, they've limited their ability to improve or to seize on opportunities that may crop up between now and opening night uh, because of the way that they've spent and because they spent on guys that I consider to be bottom six forwards, although Mikhaev maybe is probably more accurate to say a middle six forward. And you put all that together... And, you know, I I think there's a fair, I think there's fair grounds to be skeptical, but I also think the interest of fairness requires that we're a little bit more patient before we truly do what we love to do in this market, which is (laughs) sharpen our knives and carve, right? (laughs) I, I, I think it's too early to carve where the club sits or where the club stands, but I don't think it's too soon for us to look at it uh, to look at it askance, side-eye it as you would, and say, hey, look, I, I have some pretty deep concerns that the club is approaching a really seismic challenge of getting out of this mushy middle that they've you know, dug themselves into um, I, too conventionally, in far, far too conventional a manner for what the challenge demands. I think that's a fair concern to have based on what we've seen now from this new management group. This is a great text. Uh, yes, but can they be patient a little faster? And I think that that kind of captures, I think, probably what a lot of Canucks fans are feeling, being pulled in two different directions, right? Again, you can recognize that, you know, being prudent and and sticking to your gun and keeping your powder dry and all that, whatever other cliche you want to throw out there, might be the best course of action in the long term. And you can also be antsy to see some moves. You can also be antsy to get a really clear demonstration of what this team, what this management team wants to do with the roster and wants to do with the future of the Canucks. So I understand being pulled in both directions there. And I will also say, as much as I understand the value of patience on, you know, Dickinson, Myers, Pearson, you know, Garland, all of those people, right? Like not trading Niels Hoaglander, for example, uh, because he, he struggled a little bit last year. I think it's completely appropriate to be very patient in all of those situations the patience thing doesn't apply as neatly to the JT Miller situation, which is obviously on the front burner, right? So it's great to... Yeah, that's ha- that's got the 24 clock, exactly. right? Like the clock from 24 that's like ticking in the background. So yeah. you can be patient about everything else, but that one, as you said, that's that's ticking, right? We are in that situation, and it's really a lot harder to be patient about that one. So again, you can be as committed to you know long-term, smart asset management, don't rush things. Hey, look, I'll, I'll wait for the best deal to come along. But with JT Miller, I mean, we're already going into the cycle of this could get this could get really, really thorny. So again, it, it's the Canucks, I think, are being pulled in a couple of different directions as it comes to patience, and I think the fans are feeling that one as well. No question, and and that again raises the stakes. Like for me, for me, especially given that we're hopeful of a more normal NHL season this upcoming year, right? A more normal eighty-two games. Uh, with without the interruptions that have characterized so much of the last few years, you know, I, I just think the way that this club's now positioned, where it's going to be very difficult to make changes, really puts a lot of pressure, or should put a lot of pressure, in, in my view. And I don't mean negative pressure. I mean, th- this is a challenge, in my view, to this group. They have, against all odds now, this core group, been given one last chance to make a case for themselves in this market, right? 
we know what Demko can do. We know what Pedersen can do. We know what Hughes can do. We know what Miller can do. We know what Horvat can do. But now it's about whether or not that group can win together. And there's no excuses this time, right? There's We know that the quality of the... Oh, well, we might have just lost your answer there. We're about thirty seconds away from the end of the show, anyways. He just he was he was ramping up, and his internet connection died on him on uh, Friday morning. Here again, we're up against the clock, anyway, so not a bad time for it to happen. But uh, yeah, Drancer cutting out there just as he was about to make his climactic point here on Canucks Hour. Hey. Fantastic, fantastic uh, text coming in all day. First for our, our wind-up Drant segment, which, I mean, Andy, I think that's going to have to be a regular thing here. That that was a smashing success on day one of it. Oh, the people loved it. Yes. I mean, the, the responses from the inbox alone prove it. It's 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 a must-have. We got to yeah. We're Friday. we're going to keep that one around for sure. And then obviously, once we play the Jim Rutherford comments as well, really, really great discussion coming in on the inbox. We appreciate it. We'll be back on the air as part of the People's Show next week, Monday to Thursday, and then one final edition of Canucks Hour in this time slot uh, next Friday. That'll be the last one before we take the rest of the summer off from the show. So make sure you tune in for that. Thanks to everyone for listening. Have a great weekend. The People Show live from Nat Bailey is up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.